Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for all things human factors, psychology, and design. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, it is episode 157. Uh, today's March 12th, 2020, and you're listening to, or maybe even listening to, Human Factors Cast, because it's, it's a habit, man. We did the <laughs> video for a while, and then I was like, oh, yeah, you're probably watching maybe, I don't know, and then we stopped doing video because it's it's, uh, it's a little bit of a, a push without a video editor, but uh, anyway, hey, we're here. I'm your host, Nick Rome. I'm joined today by Mr. Blake Arnstorff, as always, hanging out All the way across there. the internet. We're uh, just uh, talking about my, my new floor set up it's a disco floor uh we got some excellent news stories to talk about this week uh and you know what? we're talking about some questions from the community as well this week is going to be a, a, a almost a hyper focused topic for us um and it, it's uh it's really topical as well uh which you'll kind of see here as i go over some of these news stories chinese police are now wearing super ai helmets that can track temperature within five meters and then we have autonomous robots that are helping kill the coronavirus in hospitals. And today's deep dive, uh, Fast Company did an article about the coronavirus wiping out tech companies and tech tech conferences and why that potentially isn't all that bad. So we're going to do a deep dive on that and what the coronavirus means and, and just pandemics in general for um, information sharing and uh, collaboration in um in situations where there's a lot of, you know, kind of communication breakdown. But first, hey, we got some programming notes. Uh, thank you to all of our new patrons. Um, we are doing a new thing over there on Patreon, if you're unaware. It is called Human Factors Minute. There are two episodes out now with a new episode dropping every Tuesday for your convenience. It is a highly produced, highly researched um one minute piece of content. One minute or more. I mean, it's not exclusively one minute. We have some that are some that are uh, a little bit longer than a minute, some that are a little bit less, but it all averages out to a one minute. And it is all about content that is relevant to you, bite-sized pieces of information relating to the field of human factors. Uh, and I am really proud of this thing. I'm, I'm like, you know, it takes a lot for me to be proud of something, Blake, and this is something that I'm really proud of. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's his favorite thing. He likes to send me clips of it from when I uh-huh, do cuts yeah. at it. At Plenty work. of cuts it's of Blake just messing up everything. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, it's the bet you could. You thought the soundboard was bad before. <laughs> I mean, now, all right, you could probably like make an entire Blake robot, and I could. Just oh, do but the seriously, no, it's, it's a it's a great fun. Um, it's a lot of fun to put together, and in fact, we are still producing episodes now. We have a whole year's worth of content laid out for you, and every week we are actually putting together uh, two more of these. So as long as we keep the podcast going, we will have double that in weeks for the Human Factors Minute content on the Patreon. And you know what? If it gets to be too much, eventually we might just do it twice a week on there. I don't know. Not promising anything at this point. Uh because I want to make sure we have content for the long haul, but uh, yeah, we are we are screaming through this content. So uh, please, if you're if that's interesting at all to you, five dollars gets you in, um, and it would mean a whole lot to us. Again, everything goes back into the production of this show and helps us offset some of the uh, some of the costs associated with web hosting and all that stuff. So anyway. Um, so we mentioned it at the top of the show, but the coronavirus is everywhere. Everyone's talking about COVID-19. Uh, and, you know, that is it is uh, affecting quite a lot of folks. 
including the Cal State Long Beach uh, chapter. So that talk is no longer happening. That event is no longer happening due to uh, the coronavirus and um, events on campus. So to all of you who were planning to go, apologies. That is no longer on the table, as is a lot of conferences, but we'll talk more about that later. Uh, so, Blake, it's been a week. I got to know what's going on in your world. Man, so I meant to talk about this last week because I started noticing it then. Uh, but I, want, I wanted to bring this up. So we talk a little bit on the show about like automation and what it's going to look like when there's automated cars on the road. And I'll be honest, in the in the back of my mind, I always think like, yeah, this is really a cool concept, but you know, I can only imagine how actually long it's going to take for that to take hold. Well, I really hadn't internalized that basically you can buy a Tesla and you can drive autopilot mode and it acts very much like an autonomous vehicle because I've seen more and more of my commute to work people that have their hands nowhere near the steering wheel and or maybe asleep on their way to work driving in autopilot mode and it's just it it's been insane to kind of watch cuz it's one of those things that I think I remember like it finally in films or whatever that you would have an autonomous car come and pick you up and take you places but now you can really see it in the real world i don't know have you seen anybody driving in autopilot mode nick um i have and you know, I, I've, uh, I don't know, it doesn't bother me. In fact, it makes me feel a little bit more safe. It's like, oh, okay, well, the computer's taking care of that car. So, you know, as long as I, like, it, if it's almost like a strategic thing for me. If I'm driving on the freeway and I know someone, I'm in somebody's blind spot or something and they're starting to merge, I know, you know, let's say I, I know the Tesla's over here on my right, you know, and somebody's coming in from the left. I know I could merge right and that Tesla would move out of the way. Um so yep, exactly like, to me it's almost a, a, a safety net um yeah it's this weird like transfer of trust and automation even though you're not necessarily driving right. the automated car because you have this associated belief you know that yeah autopilot is safe and that person is not something i have to worry about it's kind of an incredible feeling yeah i i don't know uh i i love this prompt here <laughs> what happens when you brake check in auto oh so i totally did <laughs> oh that. did you yeah, because I had to know. I was like, okay, this looks too cool because there was a Tesla behind me. The guy had no no hands anywhere. <laughs> Poor guy's probably drinking I coffee. Like, like. I was like, okay, well, what, what happens if I just do this? <laughs> and the car, like, managed it perfectly. Now, I, I, I wrote in the notes, so what happens when you brake check a Tesla when they're in autopilot? And to be completely fair, I had to put on my brakes really fast to stop at a stoplight. And I, I was, you know, watching to my rearview mirror to see, like, okay, how does this person handle this? Well, the, here's the crazy thing, Nick, is the person either fully trusted the car or they had been in the situation enough times to know how the car would react because there, no, there was no movement. No, like, trying to put my hands on the steering wheel for safety. No, like, no look of panic or anything. Just, like, barely a nudge forward, like, when you have to stop a little bit too quickly. <laughs> So it was it was incredible the amount of trust that the person had for however long they've had the Tesla in just how it was going to handle whatever situation was thrown at it. So I, just, I don't know. It just kind of has blown my mind over the past couple of months watching that on my commute. That's funny. Um, yeah, I, uh, I I don't know. I, I don't do much of a commute anymore. Um, you know, I used to drive, what, three hours, three and a half hours a day, and now I'm down to yeah. next to nothing. So. Um, you know, I'm not out there on the road all that much. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, that's interesting to me. 
Um, I always, I yeah, would, it's just really, it's, I don't know. It kind of feels like space land to me sometimes. Well, yeah, I, I'd imagine that, you know, when you're, when you're traveling so much in a day, right? Like take my three and a half, four hour commute, whatever it was. Um, you know, if I was in an automated vehicle that entire time, I would, you know, I, I would learn over that mileage, over that amount of time to trust the vehicle. You know, I don't think it would take me very long to get super comfortable with the vehicle actually, you know taking over in situations where it kind of has a, a better idea of what the surrounding environment is, you know, happening, you know, I, I don't know. It's kind of that vigilance thing that we talked about last week with the pool where, um, you know, if, if there's a vehicle continuously watching for things, then I don't need to. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's kind of got everything looking out for you. Um, and then like a funny tidbit, like, years ago my dad like would before he retired he like bought his last car he was like i'm never gonna buy a car again unless i can buy a car that'll drive me places and literally he he like had some accident with his car had to had to get a new car and decided to get a tesla because it could actually you know drive him places um so it's it's just kind of nuts to even in his lifetime and he's like in his mid-60s to have a car that in a lot of ways is a completely automated vehicle yeah, it's still a new concept for a lot of folks, especially. Right Absolutely, now. yeah. It's just it's kind of a wild thought. But anyway, so that's kind of what's been going on in my world. What's what's been going on with you this week, Nick, or over the past week? Uh, well, so let me. Um, I've had this note in here for a while, but <laughs> I want to talk about completion mentality, check boxes, and uh, complete the uh, perceived progress. So I was I was performing an activity, um, which over you know the course of a week. Um, you know, slowly checking off these boxes. It's a video game. Let's just say it's a video game. And uh, oh, did you finally check all the boxes, all two hundred and something? Oh, of there's them? more than two hundred. There's four hundred. Yes, oh. so there's four hundred boxes to check. Um, and you know, I, I was really reflecting on kind of how um, perceived progress happens and how, like, in this particular instance, I don't want to get into the specifics, but in this particular instance there were multiple pathways to get to that 400 checkboxes, like uh, multiple methods of basically checking off those checkboxes for full completion. And uh, it was, it was kind of fun to basically check off a lot of these boxes towards the beginning. And I was thinking about the curve, right towards the beginning, you're checking off a lot of these boxes, making progress um, every, every couple minutes. Right. And then the curve slowly tapers off as you get to the end and you're making checkboxes maybe one every day or something. And I was just thinking, I think a couple years ago uh, on the show, we actually mentioned one of these tricks that, that some game designers use where they uh, you know, basically Im improve or encourage engagement with the player base, you know, or uh, kind of encourage players to continue playing. And I totally thought of that when I was doing this because it was like, well... If you have, uh, you know, 400 of these things uh, and you need to complete them all, then it would make sense that you get most of those checkboxes out of the way at the beginning. And then, you know, over time, there's very, very targeted kind of achievements or goals to get to uh, towards the end. I don't know. I just uh, I was reflecting on that curve and I was actively um perceiving that curve as it was happening you know to the point where i was like oh i have not checked off a box today and you know towards the end it was like maybe a week before i checked off that last box 
Oh, wow. So that, that you can almost like see that concept in real time yeah. based off of your own interactions. That's pretty That's intense. what I'm saying, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's funny like when – one of my professors said this to us when we were starting the Human Factors program is like once you learn certain things about the world, you never look at them the same. So like knowing that that concept exists and then like spotting it in, in a video game context or – Knowing that like the that handles on a door designed in the improper way to afford for the right way to pull them, like that that kind of mm-hmm. stuff you always will see because you are in tune to it. Or in this case, you know human factors. You've learned you know different design patterns you find in video games. So when you spot them, it's almost like you have a completely different perception and experience of them. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that was it, it's not much for this week, but uh, that was kind of my observation. St- uh, still, still labeling things, I guess. You know, there's that. Still labeling yeah, things? Yeah. Or have you labeled everything? <laughs> I have not labeled everything, but I have labeled uh, uh, a couple other things around the house. Um, so you found more I, things I, to I did label. find more things to label. In fact, um, that, that tool setup that I was uh, alluding to, the organization in the, in the like miniature shop that I'm setting up, uh, received a lot more labels. <laughs> Fantastic, man. You got to post some of that in the Slack for us to see how all your label goodness. Oh, all the label goodness. Yeah, I'll have to do that. Uh, all right, well, why don't you say we get into the news? Yeah, this is the part of the show all about human factors news. This is where we talk about everything related to the field of human factors. This could be anything from medical. Uh, we got well, uh, lots of medical in there, I guess, with the you know secure. Uh, lots of robots, robots, to be honest. Yeah, AI's in there. You know what? Is yeah. As long as it pertains to the field of human factors, it is fair game for us to talk about. Blake, what do we have up first this week? All right. So in wake of the COVID-19 slash AKA the coronavirus outbreak, people have been trying to figure out a way to avoid being infected or even identify who has the coronavirus. So one solution that's being employed may be adding technology and AI software together. And in an effort to do this, uh, people and detect people that are potentially infected with a coronavirus, the Chinese police have started using smart helmets to detect if a person has a fever. These helmets are equipped with infrared radar cameras that can scan for people with a fever for up to 30 po- 37.3 degrees Celsius from about 5 meters away. Uh, so when the helmet detects a person with a fever, the helmet will actually light up and emit a sound. So in addition to that, helmets can also scan QR codes and have facial recognition features built into the software. So when a police officer passes a pedestrian, the facial recognition feature will activate and it can display their personal identification information in a virtual in a virtual HUD screen. So with these helmets, two police officers were able to actually completely scan 100 people in less than about 2 minutes. So this is this is pretty intense, Nick. I mean, this is really bringing technology and software into the forefront of dealing with something like identifying symptoms of, of a potential pandemic virus. Um, and then kind of not, not only doing that, taking it a step further, but adding it almost to a, a profile of a person that lives in your country. So kind of bringing this facial recognition software into it. Privacy. What privacy? Uh, so like, yeah, I know. Right. Here's the thing. It's a trade-off, right? It's a public health. Um, it's, it's a pandemic. It is now, uh, I think as of Wednesday, they, they labeled it a pandemic. It might have been Tuesday. I'm not sure. But it is labeled a pandemic now. Uh, and, you know, it, depending on how you feel about going outside, um, you know, for me, for, I don't, did you see, 
this this is we're going to be jumping around a lot here because we're talking a lot about COVID nineteen today. So it's it's going to be a lot of different kind of jumbled things, and we'll get back to this in a minute. But did you see some of the like the millennials basically are are taking advantage of this and booking trips to Hawaii for less than two hundred dollars round trip, um, and like I mean go if you can go why I, not Yeah, so I, I looked today they were like two fifty from San Diego so. <laughs> Uh, but I mean, look, depending on how you feel about going outside, it is a public, um, it is a pandemic. So it's a public safety issue. Right. And I think we all collectively as a society need to come together and agree that our privacy is, um, we need to relinquish our privacy when it comes to the health and safety of the population of earth. Um, and so, I don't know. That is kind of the biggest thing for me is kind of the privacy aspect of this. It's got facial recognition built in. It's got um, a bunch of different or the facial recognition feature will be added. But I mean, it's got a bunch of different um, features, if you will, to (laughs) kind of analyze people at a distance. And, um, you know, the fact that we're kind of looking at people's body temperature to see if they have a fever um, you know, that it's, uh, I, I don't know how I feel about this, Blake. How, how are you reacting to this? It's tough, right? Cause when I, when I read it, 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 it made me a little bit afraid, right? So it, a lot of this stuff, especially when you're talking about, we're not, we're not talking that you're walking into a hospital and there's, you know, scanners that can tell immediately if you have a fever. So they identify you as a person that needs to go to a specific place in the hospital that deals with the coronavirus. This is talking about everyday people walking around and the police are now scanning you for how do you have a fever? And then it like adds you to a specific type of database. And then what is the real implication of if somebody does have a fever, what happens? Are they like, are they stuck in quarantine? Do they get escorted directly to a hospital? So I think there's like a whole process management thing that I'm unsure of how it all kind of plays out. And it seems a little bit scary, right? But I I, I kind of feel the way that you do, in some ways you lose the, for, for better or worse, you kind of are going to lose the ability to just keep that privacy aspect when what can be at stake or what is what we're at least definitely being push towards thinking can be at stake is a lot of people being infected by this. Um, and so what can you do to kind of prevent that? Well, you can identify the symptoms as early as possible and start start allowing for, you know, potential treatments or whatever, or isolation or whatever may be to happen a lot faster. And this is a great way to do it through the intersection of tech and, you know, just the medical field. So I think stuff like this, seeing it, you know, in hospitals is an awesome idea. It just, the application for police to some degree worries me. Yeah. I, yeah, the police application and I mean, culture, culture is so different in China than America. And I, I know there's much more of an emphasis, uh, here in the States on privacy, or there's a lot more people who have issues with privacy here. However, um, I think it's, it's, starting to become prevalent in China too, right? I mean, the article actually uh, indicates that there's some selfish people out there who've been creative trying to evade um, kind of quarantine and uh, kind of spreading it around, um, you know? And, and so it's like, if that's the case, I, we should protect society and like look at look for those individuals who are out there trying to spread it actively, Um 
yeah, so I don't. I, I, it is a whole slippery, slippery slope, and and um, I just don't know. I I don't know how I feel. I think. About it. Well, I think one of the kind of upsides of it is, in a lot of ways, I feel like right now we're not getting a whole lot of great direct information about what you should or shouldn't be directly doing to kind of help, you know, guide you in terms of if you're if you're not feeling right, should you go directly to the doctor if you. If you think you have symptoms, what you should really do. So in this way, I mean, if you were able to identify that, yes, somebody does have, you know, at least the precursor symptoms of something that could be the coronavirus, then yeah, maybe this is a great way to identify good candidates who should go get screened. Um, So I think in that way, it could be a great diagnostic tool um, and take a lot of the guesswork out of, you know, if you just feel kind of bad or if you have a fever, but you just don't really think it's anything more than the common cold it could really push people to go to the doctor and get screened and stuff like that. Um, but again, it, it is, it does, it does feel very, you know, 1984 esque, if you will. Yeah. Where you, where you feel like a lot of people are watching you and what you're doing. And in this case, how your body's acting. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like this article is a little light. However, you know, we did want to kind of focus the topic of today's discussion on COVID-19. So it's in, it's interesting to me. I was trying to pull on that privacy thread because it's like, you know, it is a trade-off when it comes to a public health uh, aspect, you know. So, um, okay, well, why don't we go ahead and get into this next story? All right. So the absolute best way of dealing with the coronavirus pandemic is just, just not get it in the first place. But by now, you've probably hopefully had heard all the strategies for doing so, being drilled into your, your head, being to wash your hands, keep away from large groups of people, wash your hands, stay home when you're sick, and avoid travel when possible. So at the top of the list of all the places to avoid right now are, of course, hospitals. So because that's where all the really sick people tend to go. But for healthcare workers and sick people themselves, there's really no other option. To prevent the spread of the coronavirus and everything else throughout hospitals, uh, keeping surfaces disinfected is incredibly important, but it's also dirty, dull, and considering what you can get infected with, pretty dangerous. And that's why... It's been an ideal task for autonomous robots. That's why some of the hospitals are using the UVD robot that uses ultraviolet C, UVC light, to disinfect intensive care units. These robots can travel through hallways and up and down elevators if necessary and perform the disinfection without human intervention before returning to recharge. They're able to disinfect pretty much anything you point them at. Each robot is a mobile array of powerful short, uses a powerful short wavelength ultraviolet C UV, UVC lights that emit enough energy to literally shred the DNA or RNA of any microorganism that may have the misfortune of being exposed to them. So again, another, another but yet different application of, of using... Um, you know, in this case, robots, but in uh, like in combination, likely with some autonomous uh, software to bring it into a context where we can apply them and overcome disease in this case or overcome like sanitizing a specific space that people have to work in. And I think this is an interesting point that a lot of a lot of people probably don't hear a lot about it. it and that's like healthcare workers themselves, kind of the impact of if we start closing schools and if nurses are 
doctors have kids and don't have anywhere they can go to during the day. That kind of what do you, that ends up people that would be in a hospital working actively with patients, not being there or being able to be there and potentially, you know, transmitting it in other places. Um, but robots like this that are able to actually take care of some of the one monotonous work, but also two really intensive work that you couldn't do without some of this kind of disinfectant light is, you know, really awesome to see that it's being applied. Hopefully these robots end up everywhere in lots of different hospitals where they're really, really needed, especially like places like Italy and China and stuff like that. I like this story because it kind of illustrates the, um, you know, the sort of relationship that humans have with robots and automated technologies where this is basically removing janitorial staff one level from um, dangerous situations where perhaps they could get infected too. And, you know, in addition, uh, it also frees up staff uh, in the hospital to do more things to help more people. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people in hospitals right now, and the more hands you have on, the more staff you have on hand to help out, the better, I think. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I think this is awesome. I think it's pretty epic that one, this is, this technology had been around for a very long time. And I guess I really, of course, I don't work in the medical space as, as interested as I am in it. Um, but it's been, you know, something that's been used commonly just to disinfect water. So this like using UV light to just disinfect anything. But the fact that it's able to do something like clean a hospital, because I remember growing up as my my old man worked through worked in a lot of medical companies focusing on you know point of care systems so different things you would find kind of sitting that a nurse would use to either take your temperature or that kind of stuff but the overarching theme would always be from talking to him why he was so often sick is because he was in the hospitals all the time like pitching these products or you know doing testing with them inside of hospitals and this is kind of a perfect example where, although it's a place you go to get treated, it can be one of the biggest places that you ended up with a lot of disease, a lot of kind of just possibility for infection. So the more and more we can, one, bring technology, old or new, like using UV light, to try and get rid of some of these problems or reduce the risk of, you know, having different kinds of outbreaks or spreading infections is awesome. But now we can bring, like you were saying, robots into the mix that can take out a lot of the monotonous work that maybe nurses may end up having to do. And we allow right. people to kind of focus on intervention instead of worrying about cleaning or anything like right. that. Right. Not only does it take those staff out of the mix, but it also improves efficiency, I think, too, right? Because uh, humans can only do things so fast. But, you know, th they're saying this article mentions that, you know, one of these robots can clean a typical room in anywhere from 10 to 15 minutes. Um, and, you know, they just kind of chunk it out one to two minutes for five or six positions. And they just say, uh, you know, they maximize the amount of surface that they're blasting with this UV light at once. Right. And so they're able to just go, OK, this area, this area, this area and maximize the efficiency of cleaning those rooms or sterilizing those rooms. Um, and so you are cleaning rooms at a, at, a, at a higher turnaround rate so that way more people can get into those rooms. Um, I, I, it's just good all around. And I think it's way more effective than maybe any cleaning solutions we have right now because, I mean, we're not going to be blasting anything even with some of the disinfectants we would use. Right. They're still not going to necessarily be, like, at the level of shredding DNA or anything like that. 
Um, so using something like this that's so powerful that you don't really have a chance to let anything behind the live um, is important in cases like this where we're dealing with something that propagates through the air so easily. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, do you have any other closing thoughts on this one? Because I kind of want to get to our deep dive here. Let's go. Let's dive. All right. Well, before we do that, Blake, I'm going to slow us down here, and I'm going to uh, make sure we get into our quick break, so we'll be back for that last deep dive right after this short break. Human Factors Cast strives to bring you the best in human factors chatter every week. We pack news, interviews, reviews, and overall fun conversations into each and every product that we put our seal of approval on. But we can't do it without you. You see, the Human Factors Cast Network is 100% listener-supported. All the funds that go into running this show come from the listeners. That's why we're giving back to our supporters on Patreon, now more than ever. Pledges start at just $1 per month and include rewards like 24-7 access to our exclusive Human Factors Cast Slack channel, personalized professional reviews, and Human Factors Cast Infinite, a Patreon-only podcast where the topic is Human Factors Etc., we're always updating our rewards, so stop by patreon.com slash humanfactorscast to see what support level may be right for you. Thank you all, and remember, it depends. Okay, and we're back. Uh, before we continue, I just want to say, you know, we're still running the old Patreon commercial, but again, Human Factors Minute, it is the thing that I am most proud of on our Patreon. It is amazing. I really <laughs> like it. We got some really cool episodes on there, and I can't stress enough how like this is the content that i want for myself this is the content that nick has always wanted it is because okay so i mentioned that my commute has gone from four hours to virtually nothing and so it's very hard for me to keep up with podcasts now <laughs> and um i gotta say man like if i had just minute long podcasts that i could be like oh yeah that's a cool one that's just a cool minute one. cast man yeah and you could you could either binge it all in one go right wait a whole year for 52 minutes of human factors minute and listen to one whole regular episode if you will or you could just listen to them week by week and keep up you know i think it's uh i think it offers some of that flexibility it's really cool have you um, teased any of what the content actually is like of the two that we released cool. the titles of them uh, no, I haven't released the titles yet. Uh, we did one on HFES and we did one on the healthcare symposium, but I, I like it's not Which is limited. Both canceled this year too. That's a bummer. Right? Yeah, we'll get into that in a minute. But it's not just that. I mean, we have things on like critical incident technique or. Um, you know, ancient human factors history, which is one of my favorites to record. That was awesome and to research. You was, you've always been so stoked on the human factors history thing because we've tried to do that a couple. of in a couple of variations on the show. Yeah. Yeah, we and have. And it's, it's finally coming to life. Yeah, I'll just, uh, you know what, you're right. I should probably tease these, right? Like, <laughs> we have ancient human factors history, aviation history. We got spotlights on all the human factors technical groups. We got methodology from everywhere from uh, meta-analysis to um, human performance modeling uh, and work sampling, cognitive walkthrough. It's all in there. There's a lot of really great stuff. And it's better than reading an article because it's only a minute long, so you can quickly find out, like, hey, this method I heard about, this human performance modeling, is it even useful for me? Well, we'll tell you. We did that for you. We did the research. We condensed it down to one minute to make sure it was good enough. Um, make sure everything you needed to know as a stepping off point was in there for you. Nerds. Um, yeah, we have methodology, human factors areas, like aviation, biomechanics, 
systems engineering. Uh, we have different conferences in there like AHFE, CHI, IEEE. We have um, human factors areas. I, I already mentioned those, but like HCI, HSI, um, lots of fun stuff in there. So if you are interested at all in any of the stuff that we talked about, and there's a lot more coming down the line. Like I said, Blake and I have <clears throat> a, a whole list of these things going, and we're we're knocking out a couple of them every week. So obviously I'm very excited about it. Blake's very excited about it too. Uh, and uh, we just we hope you want to join us on Human Factors Minute. Um, so join the Patreon if, if that's something that's of interest to you. Okay. And please, if you are a Patreoner, let us know what you think. Are they? Is it yes. useful? As uh, it'll probably be helpful over the next few weeks because they get like a sample of all the different kinds that we're doing. Right. But yeah. We're actively let us know because I mean we want to provide stuff that you want to listen to that you find fun and interesting to to take the time and listen to for a minute or whatever it may be. So let us know. Yeah, we have a strategy for releasing these, uh, but uh, I, I think that's a Patreon Slack discussion rather than a on the podcast discussion. So if you're a Patreon and want to know the strategy of how we're releasing these, uh, join us there. Um, okay. So over the last couple of weeks, Blake, you and I have been doing kind of these deep dives after the, after the break, uh, instead of more articles, we kind of just been doing these, um, like we did a VR one last week and we did a, um, what was the one the week before it was, it was, a. Uh, I'm blanking. Well, last week's was like video, like why hasn't video gaming taken off? Social spaces right, in VR. In social space. Yeah. I'm drawing the a blank. before that, I don't remember. It was the first one that we did. I don't know. Anyway, we've been doing these for the last couple of weeks and we thought we'd uh, continue here with this topic here. I don't know, Blake, do you want to read just the, the title and we can uh, kind of recap what this is and why we're talking about it? Absolutely. So title of this is the coronavirus is wiping out tech conferences and that's not bad not all bad so i mean what can that possibly mean right so really as i'm sure a lot of you're aware nick talked about it at the top of the show that conferences left and right are being canceled due to the coronavirus so just to give you a little bit of a spiel from here so it's looking like even in the way so in the wake of the coronavirus the in-person versions of conferences like facebook's f8 google's cloud next have been canceled and are set to be replaced with virtual events that will be streamed to participants live so google's also canceled as google io and has been less specific about any plans for online versions so a lot of conferences are offering online versions of the kind of conference they were going to hold and a lot and definitely a lot of the tech companies because i know like github's doing the same thing they're but they're definitely moving towards this still having the conference but not having people travel risk getting sick risk spreading viruses um but yeah so that's generally what's going on in terms of these and so we've been affected locally and i'm sure a lot of other people are but what's your take on this nick do you think it makes sense for all these companies to be kind of canceling all these events um Maybe. I, I do want to add just one more thing to that prompt, though. So this specific article from Fast Company kind of talks about tech conferences. I'm widening that to conferences in general and how it's impacting everything. Um, I mean, to the way that we work. I know a lot of folks have uh, like Google is asking everybody to work from home and telecommute uh, and telework. And so how does this um pandemic affect the virtualization of these conferences of your work how do you communicate collaborate with others um how are travel plans affected how is public life affected 
Uh, I think all that is fair game for us to talk about here in this prompt. And we're just using this as like a springboard here. But I, I mean, like for me personally, it's affected me in the sense that I, for work, we had a large event that was based here in San Diego and uh, travel was canceled. And so yeah. at the last minute, literally the Friday before. And so, you know, the whole team has been scrambling. Well, how do we hold this thing virtually? When, you know, in person, there would be breakout sessions and people would be floating from each breakout session and um, meeting people who they haven't met yet face to face. And like, there's a lot of interesting things that happen when you take something like that and put it virtually. And so like for me, it's impacted me professionally uh, from that point of view, but also like the Long Beach conference was canceled. So, you know, I won't get to network with any of the students there or the faculty there uh, or anyone else who is planning on attending. And I think that's the biggest impact, right, is the lack of ability to be a human and go up to somebody and say, hi, my name is Nick Rome and I am interested in the work that you are doing. Can we get together and collaborate sometime? It's very hard to introduce yourself to someone online. Um, however... That being said, I think it's great for information sharing, right? Like these tech conferences, sharing information online is not a bad thing. And in fact, it's something that you and I have been a little bit critical of HFES for in the past is that, you know, the information that is at the conference should be online for those who can't attend. And I do want to mention too, HFES earlier this week on Wednesday, they actually did do a... Um, what was it a, as a web conference on how human factors and COVID-19 uh, interact. I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet. Uh, I did post on the... Oh, I thought it was just like a town hall thing. Did they actually record something and put it out? Uh, it was a town hall. I'm not sure if they recorded it or not. I do want to watch it and listen to it. But if any of our listeners uh, were able to attend that, um, you know, it was hosted by a friend of the show, Tony Andre, um, and as well as a couple others who I'm blanking on the names right now. But... You know, I think this this availability of information and hosting these virtual sessions is a really great benefit to a lot of folks. I don't know. How do you feel about the whole thing? How, how have you been impacted um, by the coronavirus uh, as it pertains to uh, professionally work, um, travel, anything like that? None at all. I mean, I the most I got was like risk for phishing scams because i mean what I, I work at a security company that's what they focus on letting anybody know about but it hadn't hadn't affected me in terms of any of that there's no uh not teleworking there has been traveled canceled for some people um but I, I don't have any kind of external trips or anybody coming in or out so it's, it's not really affecting me at all um i would prefer you know to work from home if that was an option but it's it's just not um because so many people because they they're hard workers, they often will come to the office if they don't feel well. Um, so, and because it, everything's so uncertain right now, it's a little bit it's a little bit weary. Um, and I may have like scared myself a little bit too much listening to a podcast all about the coronavirus yesterday. Um, oh, so, so you're, a little bit, uh, you're perfectly armed to talk about it today on this podcast. <laughs> uh, no, I'm not. Well, the only thing I am armed to talk about is that you just we don't really know what the impact of it's going to be, and there's not a whole lot of great things that you can actually do, right? 
you can just try and wash your hands and be a healthy human being. But other than that, there's not a whole lot to be done as of right now. Yeah, a lot of people um, are self-quarantining. They're keeping themselves in their own home when possible uh, or when forced by either a country's government or by a, the company that you work for. But, yeah. I mean, you know, as these things occur, you know, there's going to be plenty of people out there who work in food service, who work in... Um, you know, retail or something that just can't call out or can't work from home. And yeah. it's going to spread no matter what. Um, yeah. So do you, I don't know what angle you wanted to take here, but I see like a giant upside to not, not let me be very clear. So this doesn't get bit against me. <laughs> I, I don't see any advantageous thing of the coronavirus being out there, but I see an advantage of, possibly allowing for people to figure out how to better work without being face-to-face with each other and i think with all these developer conferences kind of getting canceled but they're going to do virtual versions is a great way to kind of see what that looks like in terms of infrastructure like how do you have breakout sessions for a conference how could you put that kind of stuff together for your own job if you needed to so i think there there's a lot that we can learn about how do you share information um, across people you work with, how do you better work with each other if it's you know doing video calls instead of phone calls or whatever it may be? Because you talked a second ago, Nick, about well, how do I interface with all these people and you know see them face to face and say I want to collaborate with you? Well, I still think there's right. definitely a way you can still do that, but it 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 is a little bit harder. It's a little bit stranger almost because you'd have to hop on something like what you and I are doing right now that people can't see. We're doing a video call so we can see each other's faces and read, you know, read body language visible, and, and, uh, yeah, read visible signals and that kind of stuff. So laugh at people putting their fingers up their noses and whatever. Yeah. I don't know who's yeah, doing who's that. It's like- awkward. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but it's, so it's kind of a cool experiment in that we have to learn, we have to still work together um, and a lot of companies still do a lot of like even problem solvers that are dealing with the coronavirus at, at its forefront are likely not always in the same room with each other doing so. They may be having to do video conferences across the world to try and share information. Uh, so it's it's probably a great time just to figure out how all that can work from like an infrastructure standpoint or what's what's kind of the best practices. Right. And I think, you know, there's from my experience, there's a lot of different ways to handle this type of thing there's there's the way that you and i are handling this now blake like you mentioned we are literally looking at video of each other talking as we do this so that way we could read body language so that way you know if i have something to say i can raise my hand uh and you know that i have something to say and it works for a one-on-one aspect right but when you're in groups there's plenty of technology solutions out there right microsoft has solutions google has solutions plenty of different other companies have solutions for these group um group settings virtually and the the interesting thing to me is you both gain things and lose things when you move to a virtual environment and this kind of goes hand in hand with what we were talking about last week and the social aspect of virtual environments and virtual spaces when you're putting together these virtual breakout rooms for these conferences that is a virtual environment, whether, you know, it's it manifests itself in a 3D representation or not. It is a virtual space in which a congregation of people are gathered and they are interacting with each other. Now, the thing that's lost is very obvious, right? That's body language. That's uh, potentially 
making sure that no one's uncomfortable, right? Like if I, if I were to say something in a conference and I was talking about, um, you know, making human factors accessible or something. And I was saying, you know, we, uh, like, let's, let's say I was presenting this talk that I was going to do at eight at the, uh, Long Beach healthcare symposium, or not the healthcare, <laughs> the Long Beach HFES, right? Let's say I was giving this talk and I said something like, you know, uh, our job is to take these findings and distill down to simple ideas that get anyone to understand. So throw away the scientific method. My sarcasm, <laughs> my sarcasm there yeah. is not transferred because they can't see me. They can't, they don't understand that I'm joking there. And so you have a lot of people, I can't, in, in return, I can't read the room and see a lot of people uncomfortable and kind of laugh it off and say, hi, just kidding. I absolutely think that's necessary, right? The scientific method, let's do that. But I'm on a podcast every week where I need to distill down these ideas. I need to communicate to our audience these ideas. And that's a really important point that I want to get across. And so it's stuff like that where these nonverbal cues are, are going to be lost in a virtual environment. Now, what is gained? Well, convenience for one, right? If you have the tools, setup could be a hassle. However, a lot of companies have spent a lot of time and money and resources into making these things as usable as possible. You click a link, you dial in, or you just use the audio on your computer and you're part of it. Um, there's usually chats associated with these tools and you are communicating with others. Um, and so the barrier to entry is very low. Um, there is something that's lost there too with the comfort of social environments, right? Like if somebody sees you in a room, um, you're announcing your presence where you could kind of hang out in the back and no one might notice you in, in like the physical space, right? I don't know. Absolutely. <laughs> that is my MO of all the time. Right. So, and, you know, and just record uh, the, the talk without permission. Um, so, um, although I was up front for that. So... <laughs> Was it the front? Was yeah, right. you were in the front center yeah. of the room. Anyway, the the point is there there are things lost, there are things gained. I think this is going to be a great opportunity for a lot of people to get used to these virtual environments, and I encourage anyone who's attending some of these virtual conferences to, uh, especially the ones with interactive methods. Right, it's one thing to present something in like a webinar format, but. A Q&A or a town hall, I'm very curious how that HFES town hall went, right? How do they handle questions from the audience? How do they handle uh, interaction with other attendees? Like, that's something that's interesting to me. And it's like, you know, how do I, let's say you and I, Blake, didn't know each other, and we go to that town hall, and, you know, I, you say something amazing in the town hall and i'm like oh i really want to get together with blake to talk about that a little bit more you know is there a way that we can break out and talk about that um well hey blake you know like how do i reach out to you are there ways in which these technologies make things easier for us can you provide your linkedin and say hey i really encourage anyone who like wants to talk about this further to reach out to me on linkedin i'll give you my personal number we just have a call like yeah I mean, there, there's definitely software solutions that already handle a lot of that. So, like, uh, one thing when I was working with UXPA, so User Experience Professional Association in Los Angeles, like, we would hold these webinars kind of once a month. It would either be, like, special speakers or book talks or whatever. And 
okay for upfront nick and i have no affiliation with this company just mentioning it now like but zoom conferencing software has a lot of those features um and i think another one that's actually cloud-based that's called crowdsource or something like that it has a lot of this so a lot of being able to moderate you know q a or kind of when somebody else is speaking the screen will change and focus on the person you have like raising your hand features there's also like a chat feature where people can easily like a moderator can easily moderate the chat and pull out questions and throw them up to the speakers and stuff like that but you bring up a good point of like how do you how do you interact with somebody outside of that right so you almost have to use like third-party solutions of saying contact me through linkedin or here's my like whereby link where we can hop on and have like a quick one-on-one call or whatever it may be so that kind of integration is a great idea because i think more and more we're likely going to be meeting you know people in professional sense online and wanting to have those kind of collaboration aspects like through things like the podcast that you post and other things that you can do where you can collaborate on medium articles or put together a piece of video content together uh, so there's definitely a lot of potential for collaborating through these different virtual environments but it's it still requires that same thing that if you're in a a, a physical environment where you're like me you're the person standing in the back of the room it takes a lot of effort to you know work up the guts to go and talk to somebody to talk about like the the work they do or whatever it may be. And then asking them to collaborate is a whole different thing. Like I still think that's that barrier to entry still exists in the virtual world. Um, It's just, maybe it's not as intensive. Like sometimes I I feel more comfortable with video chat stuff with people, maybe because I've done it so much because I do it, you know, so many times a week with you, with students, uh, with other people for various and sundry things. So it seems like a simple medium. Um, so I don't know. I think there's definitely software options for it, uh, but it still has that, that odd kind of like social implication to it of how you still have to get over your own kind of personal stuff to start talking to people. Yeah, I uh, I don't know. I For me, it's a little bit... Uh, I feel weirder about contacting people virtually or over the phone than I do in person. And that's just a personal barrier for me, right? So it's like... Um, certain people will have an easier time with it virtually and certain people will have it, uh, have a harder time virtually. And ultimately what we need to look at is just how can we optimize this for everybody? How can we make it? So that way maybe you can sit in anonymously and you know, you don't have your name attached to your thing. So if you, so if you have a, a question that, you feel might be stupid, you can ask it anonymously and it might be the greatest question they got. Um, And you feel like there's no barrier to asking it because no one's going to associate your name with a stupid question. And there are no stupid questions, but still people feel sort of that social pressure of, you know, like. Yeah, just don't ask dumb questions. Like there's that that mod or I don't know. I I can't think of the right word, but there is that feeling that I even like, I'll say it all the time in meetings or whatever. I'll preface my, what I think is my stupid question with that, just because I'm afraid of the, the looks or whatever. uh, Um, It's so unnecessary, but it it is something people, by the way, if, if that is something that you fear, like I feared that for a very long time, but I started asking a lot of stupid questions recently. So what I've started to do is, Hey, I may have missed this, but did you mention this anywhere? That's a good one. Yeah. 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 It's a good good one. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. All right. Um, I don't know. Do you have any other closing thoughts on, on how global pandemics or health crises can help 
spread n- help uh yeah spread information and knowledge and not the virus <laughs> well i think it gives us an opportunity especially in 2020 where we have such a great especially in the u.s so we're definitely a very privileged lot for this kind of stuff but we have so many great options for how we can communicate with each other and kind of stay you know in a health perspective pretty safe um so figuring out how to distill information and you know communicate it across different parties i think from the work aspect is one thing but then i hope that this similar concept is going on for people in higher forms of government or they're in healthcare that are sharing this information trying to work on these kind of things and hopefully software is not a barrier for entry for this um, one thing that I, th- I think we didn't really bring up is the fact that although you can spend a lot of money and it does help when you do, cause you have nicer microphones, you have a nicer, you know, video camera. So you can see those expressions on people's faces, but a lot of us carry around a phone that allows us to do this kind of stuff with just a thing we carry in our pocket all the right. time. Um, so it, it's awesome. I think we live in a really cool time. Um, and it's, it's a really tragic thing that this is going on um and i know it'll play out over a, a long series of months but i think it gives us all a great learning opportunity from multiple perspectives i agree this might push society to become more virtualized and um you know i okay, okay i'm not quite done yet i guess i do have two other points um my first point is that you know with everybody working from home it it is uh interesting to see that work continues on and we can be just as productive uh, and so how does that change workplaces once they realize they no longer need to spend money on things like facilities or, um, you know, uh, heating, electricity, anything like that in, in their facilities when they can just have all their workers work from home and have a smaller footprint? Um, so how does it how does it change that environment, too? Right. That's that's another interesting piece to me. And the last yeah, oh, go ahead. and I think ultimately that's the way to move. I mean, just from the footprint aspect of it, right? Yeah, I think so too. And uh, you know, you like it is that whole communication trade-off. What do you get from being in person versus being online? But if you know, for the work that you do, if it's exactly the same, if you're coding, if you are um, even doing human factors work remotely or at home. Um, you know, I, I think that's worth looking at and potentially changing the paradigm by which we see telework. You know, I don't know. I, that's just me. Um, I think it's a, I think it's a really great sentiment, and I hope that a lot of companies take the opportunity to kind of really, really assess like how it works, right? And what are the pitfalls of it? Because I think you're right. I mean, I can do a lot of my job from right at this desk, right? And then interacting with people. I mean. I've put a whiteboard stuff before behind me and interacted with students about like, how do you do workflows? How do you put together quick wireframes, that kind of stuff. And there's so many awesome virtual tools on the internet that make like the UX design and then development job really easy and super seamless for collaboration. Um, Cybersecurity is a big problem that a lot of people have to deal with, especially in kind of my sector of work. Um, But there's solutions for a lot of that stuff. So I think the, the working online is really a great option. Yeah. Uh, my second point that I want to make is that this is uh, this is making public places a lot more vacant, um, and so I I don't know how you feel about the virus, but I'm kind of of the sense that you know unless I go, um, 
to the epicenter of something or or uh you know forget to wash my hands or forget to not touch my face or touch my baby's face or something i i'll be okay um and you know for me i'm going to disneyland <laughs> because attendance Do is it. down and hopefully i'll have something to report on next week because uh yeah man that ride uh anyway <laughs> so with that i mean just like don't uh don't overlook i guess the public space um don't don't lose sight of that um, all right. Well, I think we've gone a little bit long today, so no Reddit today. We'll go ahead and skip that. Um, so let's go ahead and get out of here. That's it for today, everyone. Let us know what you guys think of the news stories this week or our deep dive. Uh, you can join the discussion on our Slack or follow us all over our social channels at HFactors Podcast. If you'd like to email us, you can do that at uh, show at humanfactorscast.com. If you like what, what you hear, want to support the show, you can leave us a review on your podcast medium of choice or consider supporting us on Patreon. Like I said, I'm very excited. I am so passionate about Human Factors Minute. Please check it out over there. And, of course, you can always reach us at our home on the web, humanfactorscast.com. I want to thank Mr. Blake Arnsdorf for hanging out on the show with me tonight. Where can our listeners go and find you if they want to talk about COVID-19? Oh, you guys can always find me in the Human Factors Cast Slack. I think it's at Blake. But across social media, you can also find me at Don't Panic UX. As for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me across social media at Nick underscore Rome. Thanks again for tuning in to Human Factors Cast. Until next time, it depends. It depends. Spacecraft, railway locomotives, nuclear submarines, healthcare, jet aircraft, these are all examples of highly technical systems and organisations, and all have one particular thing in common. They all involve humans. Humans who want to do amazing things and are using technology to achieve them. They all have something else in common. They have amazing people ensuring that the users who are involved can do what they need to do, are safe when they do so, and have the optimum user experience. These people are Human Factors practitioners, and on 1202, the Human Factors podcast, they talk to me, Barry Kirby, about what they do, sharing their career paths, highlighting their ideas and best practices, and fundamentally raising awareness of our discipline. Find us on 1202podcast.com, on social media, and on your favourite podcast directory, because it's more than just common sense.